every week we have folks fill out prayer cards and these are there's different needs they've got going on and different things going on in the lives of people in our church and if you're here and you're like I didn't fill out a prayer card but I could use some prayer because I got some stuff going on in my life go ahead and just slip up your hand love to pray with you love to include you in this prayer hands going on up all over the room you're not the only one like so uh I'd also like prayer for myself. This is like the ninth time I've been sick this winter. I feel sick again. I'm, you ever just get sick of being sick? I'm sick of it. Let's pray. Father, we speak the name of Jesus over our lives, over our kids. Father, we speak the name of Jesus Christ over our marriages and our relationships. God, oh, we speak the name of Jesus over addictions, over, over grief and anxiety and fear, Lord, over our finances, over our jobs. We speak the name of Jesus, Lord, over our lives. I pray, God, that you would intervene in every uh, situation in these cards, every situation in our lives, every situation of every person joining us online. I pray that you would heal me, God. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to talk uh, about friendship. Well, boys, that'll do me for today. Better luck tomorrow, eh? He's been saying that for 40 years. He still hasn't caught a thing. How many of you, if you won the lottery, you would do something like that for your friends? How many of you would change your number, you're disappearing, have yourself declared legally dead, like you're gone, right? Tell the truth. All right. So today I want to talk a little bit about our friendship. I, there's this old, it's said to be a Mexican proverb. You've probably heard it before. Tell me who your friends are and I can tell you who you are. So I think this is true. If you show me who you are. Uh, spend the most time around and the things they do and the things they spend their money on and the things they value and the quality of their relationships and the way they raise their kids, I bet I could guess with a great amount of certainty the things you do, the things you spend your money on, the things you value, the quality of your relationships and the way you raise your kids. Pastor Andy Stanley, he says it like this. He says, your friends will always determine the quality and direction of your life. And we all intuitively know this is true because if we didn't, uh, we wouldn't be so concerned about who our kids' friends are. But every one of us is desperately concerned about who our kids' friends are because we know that's going to determine the direction of our kids' lives. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he said, if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So if you hang around people who are wise... You will also become wise. But if you hang around with people that Fred Sanford would have called big dummies, then you're going to have problems in your life. 
right? This is nothing new. But if you, if you hang out with people who are healthier than you, who have more wisdom than you, who have better marriages than you, who are better at handling money than you, who are better leaders than you, then you will become more like them. And on the flip side, if you hang around with married people that act like single people, or if you hang around with people that spend more money than they make, or you hang around with people that don't take care of their bodies at all, then you're going to suffer harm. You're going to become more like them. The challenge is good relationships take a lot of time and energy, and there's really no financial return on it. So it's up to us to put the value in it and decide we're going to do it. In the last 25 years, researchers have told us that we've gone, 25 years ago, the average American would have said they have six friends, six good close friends. We've gone from the average of six to an average of two in just less than a generation, in 25 years. How is this happening? Well, researchers also tell us that you are the average of your five closest friends. So chances are financially, if you think of your five closest friends, you probably don't make the most, but you probably don't make the least either. You're probably right in the middle. Or physically, you're probably not in the best shape, but you're probably not in the worst shape either. You're probably somewhere right in the middle. Um, Chances are that if your five closest friends are pursuing a passionate relationship with Jesus, then chances are you are too. But chances are that if your, five, or your four closest friends or five closest friends got totally hammered last night, then you probably got totally hammered last night too. Some of you are looking at me like nobody in this room would get totally Let me tell you, in a room this size, somebody got hammered last night, all right? I'm just glad you're here. This is where you need to be. I'm glad you're here. So the question this morning is, am I spending the right, enough time with the right people? I told you the average American says they have two friends, but 25% of Americans would say, I don't even have one close friend. That breaks my heart. That makes me sad. How has this happened? We used to teach this at, when I was teaching at UNC, we would talk about this exact dynamic. So you're going to get some UNC uh, college credits right here for free. But since you're not paying, you don't get credit either. But, you know, you're at least going to learn something, all right? So uh, if you go, how, how has this happened? How have we gone from six friends to two friends or no friends? This is one of the contributing factors. If you go downtown Greeley, and you drive around and look at the old houses that are 100 years old or so, a lot of them look like this. They have these big front porches. And so what would happen is in the evening when it was hot, people would go out and they would sit on their front porches because it was too hot in the house. And so when they did that, they would see their friends. They'd be walking by and they'd say, hey, Bill, how are your kids? Oh, let me show you how my kids are. How was your vacation? Oh, I got some pictures from my vacation. And then Bill would walk up to your porch and he'd show you pictures of his vacation. And then you would like it. You'd say, I like that. Or you would say, I heart that. Right? That was before Instagram and, and all that. They would, you'd just say, I like that picture, Bill. And he'd go, oh, that makes me feel good. You like my picture, right? Or Bill would say, hey, did you know that the pork chops are on sale at Safeway? And you go, I didn't know that, but now you know that. This was uh, it's social interaction before we had our phones, right? This is how it was, it was done. But then in the 1950s, air conditioning was invented. And everybody moved inside. We didn't have to sit out on the front porches anymore. We all moved our lives inside. And that has not stopped. Now, I love air conditioning. Let me tell you. I'm the first one to tell you I love AC. 
But what it's done is it's disconnected us. That's one of the contributing factors from people around us. Another one is garage door openers. We don't, we don't even have to get out of our car. We live like a hundred years ago, you'd be a king if you could just, that's, this is us, right? We don't even get out of our cars. And if we do go outside, we go into our backyards where we have six-foot fences keeping us from all our weird neighbors. We don't even want to look at those guys, much less interact with them. But all of this wall building has resulted in us having less and less friends. And it hasn't really stopped. How many of you would be honest enough to admit in church in God's house, that when your phone rings, you're like, why are they calling me? I'm not answering. Raise your hand if you're like, I am not talking. Do you want me to talk to you? You know what's even worse? FaceTime. Oh, no way. This could have been a text, right? That's called telephobia. We're getting more and more away from having interactions. You know why we do that? So that we can have total control over the conversation. When you're having a face-to-face or, or even a phone call, uh, you, don't, you can't really control what's happening. But when you text, you think you have a little more control over the conversation. So all of this wall building is resulting in us having less and less friends. The problem is some of the people we're leaving outside of our walls, God has designed to help you get better. God has equipped them to take you to the next level. God has sent them to help you to grow and make you grow. But one of the great lies that we've bought in this country is people are expendable. And if I want to be happy, I just need more money or more stuff. Who's ever thought, be honest and say, if I just had more money, I think I'd be happier, right? You're like, I know I wouldn't be less happy, right? So a few years ago, a group of researchers, uh, they, they set up what they called the scale of happiness. And there's a bunch of seats right here in the front row. I'm sorry to single you out, guys. I know those traffic and Starbucks was bananas, but there's, there's some bunch of seats right here. They're not listening. They're like, I'm not listening to that guy. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. There's seats right here. All right. So um, this, was that your biggest fear, what I just did? <laughs> That's why you get here on time. You're like, oh, man, I don't, I'm just not going. Let's watch it online. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to help. So a few years ago, a bunch of researchers they came up with what they called the happiness scale. And what they did is they figured out how to measure how happy a person was. And so they made a documentary. It's called Happy. It's a great one. I'd recommend you watch it. But they, in this documentary, we meet this rickshaw driver from India, and his name is Manoj. And according to this happiness scale, he's just as happy as you are. Watch this. Would it surprise you to know that in a recent survey, this rickshaw driver, Manoj Singh, 
was found to be as happy as the average American. That's something. He says, yeah, you can, yeah, you can clap for that. that was, I love that video. Based on the happiness scale, he's as happy as you are. And he's like, you know, did you see his house? He's like, we have a tarp. Sometimes it keeps the rain out. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, and when I'm working, I get wet, but then I run and I'm dry. He, what an optimistic outlook this guy has on life. But re his real sort, you know, he's like, sometimes we don't have anything to eat except rice and salt. But, but I have my family and I have my friends. I have my community. And together, we're happy. Maybe we're barking up the wrong tree when we're trying to be happy buying stuff or thinking that if we just do this next thing that we'll be happy. Maybe all along God has designed people around us. So the, the key idea for us this morning is God has put someone in place to help you grow. God has positioned someone in your life and their role is to help you grow. So we're going to see this played out in the Bible in the life of a guy named Saul. So Saul, we meet Saul. Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. His disciples prayed. They received the Holy Spirit. Peter starts preaching. And in, three, in one day, 3,000 people joined the church. So there's this new movement coming out of this tiny sect of Judaism called Christianity, people of the way. And this little, this little movement is blowing up. And so there's this other young guy. Uh, and so, so, so there's Peter, he's preaching, and then there's this young guy named Stephen, who's also preaching, and they put Stephen on trial, and they find him guilty of blasphemy. It's a, it's a mock trial, fake trial, they trump it up. And so Stephen's trying to talk, and this is what happens. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is the first time we meet Saul, and he's a, he's a Pharisee, so he, he upholds the, the Old Testament law, and he believes that he's doing God's work by being a part of trying to stamp out this new movement called Christianity. Then this is what the Bible says. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. So Saul is not a good guy. We know that he at least has one Christian killed and because of Christianity, 
And he's making it his personal mission to stamp out this new movement called Christianity. So he starts putting Christians in jail. Then in Acts chapter 9, he's headed to a city called Damascus. And the Bible says, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So as he's on his way, he's like thinking, I'm going to get those guys. I'm sick of it. Like he's just so angry at this new movement called Christianity. And this is what happens. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. So Saul, we know, hates Christians, and he's at least murdered one, and he's heading into Damascus. This is what Saul says about himself. He says, intensely, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So he's on his way to do it more. Then Jesus shows up. He knocks him off his high horse, literally knocks him off his horse, knocks him onto his you know what I mean? Knocks him onto his backside and says, knock it off, right? Then he makes him blind. The Bible miniseries did a good job of illustrating this moment. A little dramatic, but you get the idea, right? Now, you probably did not come to Christ in some dramatic way like that. But no doubt you were headed, doing your own thing. You were going your own way, and God showed up and intervened in your life, probably at a low moment, when life has knocked you off your horse and knocked you onto your, you know what, right? And sometimes when we hit a very low moment in our life, maybe you're going through a divorce or having a trouble with your kids. Maybe it was a financial mess you were in or something at work or, or maybe you were dealing with a, a relationship of some other kind and you're, you found yourself at the very bottom and you said, God, help. Jesus isn't like us because if it was us, we'd be like, oh, now you want my help. Okay, now that you hit rock bottom, now, nah, no, no, he's not like that at all. He says, finally, they're listening. God is not above using those low moments in our lives to reach out and grab a hold of us. So that's what we see happening with Saul. So he's got a problem now because he was on his way to Damascus to arrest and maybe murder Christians. Now he's been taken to Damascus anyway, but he's blind. 
Now, he's, not planning, he's, he's definitely not planning to persecute the church anymore, but the Christians aren't going to like him either. He's kind of in a weird spot. So they take him to an inn, and for three days, he just sits there. Doesn't eat anything, doesn't drink anything. He just sits there blind. And could you imagine what his prayers were like during that time? God, I'm a little surprised. I'm not going to lie. I thought I was doing your work by persecuting the church. I'm really sorry about that, by the way. I can see now that that is your work. And so what do I do now? Have you ever prayed like that? God, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. You're in good company. Because in my opinion, those are the prayers that God answers the most. When we're desperate, we're at the end of our rope, and we say, God, I don't don't know what to do. Please help me. Remember we said God has put someone in place to help you grow? God has sent someone for for Saul, too. The guy's name is Ananias. And God speaks to Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus, and I want you to lay your hands on a man named Saul. I want you to put your hands on him and pray for him. Now, Ananias knows who Saul is. He knows what he's done. So the only hands he wants to lay on him is a one-two. You know, he's going, he wants to give one of those, right? He wants to get him. He says, I don't want to... And so look at when, when Ananias responds to God, look what he says. He says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, he's saying, God, I don't think you understand what you're asking me to do. Have you ever explained the situation to God? God, I don't think you really get what's happening here. Let me explain it to you. Let me, let me, but remember, God has put someone in place to help you grow. And this someone for Saul is Ananias. So God is using Ananias to bring someone who worked against the gospel. Look what God says. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So these are all Jewish people. And they believed that God and the gospel were only for them. They believed that it's not for anybody else. Gentiles are anyone who's not Jewish. So that would be us. All right. And so they thought, well, this is not for them. This is only for us. That's how they believed back then. That's still how they believe today. So Diane and I were in Venice, Italy a few years ago. And we were in uh, this area called the Jewish Ghetto. And there's a synagogue there. This is where they rounded up Jewish people during World War II. So there was still barbed wire up and all that. Very intense kind of place to be. Very sobering. And we're walking around. And we see this synagogue. And there's a table set up in front of the synagogue. And there's a bunch of Jewish men out in front. And they're doing uh, their daily prayers. So this is a picture of the scene. Uh, They obviously didn't know I was taking that picture. My boy on the left probably would have sucked it in a little bit. But anyway... So what they're, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Go ahead and finish. (laughs) Sorry about that. So what they're doing, do you see the little boxes on their heads? These are called phylacteries. This is something that even happened in Jesus' time. Jesus talks about phylacteries. And what these are is they're these little black boxes with these long straps on them. And they have scriptures in them from the Old Testament. 
And what you're supposed to do is you strap it on your head, but you're supposed to do it a certain way with a certain number of, of uh, tying it a certain way. And then you pray these prayers that they pray every day. And so there's also another one that you strap on your arm. And so you can see the guy with the striped shirt in the middle. If you look at his arm, you can see all the straps around it. There's a certain way you're supposed to do it. And it, refer it references a bunch of things about God. So the guy on the right is a Jewish missionary, but he's from New York City. So he's in Italy to try and help Jewish people come back to their faith. So that's what's happening here. So I start talking to this guy. And I said, hey, man, um, is there any way you could teach me how to tie one of these on? Show me how it's done. I'd love to learn. And, he go, and maybe, maybe you could even sell me one. I don't, and he goes, are you Jewish? And I said, no, I'm actually a Christian pastor, but we kind of have the same roots. And he goes, uh, no, no, I can't. And then he keeps going. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, hey, you're a missionary. You know, you're, maybe you're over here. You can, like, talk to me and maybe show me how to do this. And he goes, but you're not Jewish, are you? I said, no. He goes, sorry, this isn't for you. He was nice about it, but he very, very sternly said, this is not for you. And that's how the people in the Bible, in the in New Testament, that's how they felt about the Gentiles. That God is only for us. He's not for you. God's not concerned about you. You're on your own. So when the Lord tells Ananias, this man is going to go proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. What he was saying was, Paul is about to take the gospel to the whole world, to everybody. So it was pretty mind-blowing for Ananias. So God looks at Paul. And he says, you were going one way. Now I'm going to take you a completely different way. This is what happens. Who are you? Speak. I am one of those you want to destroy. to my house.
No. No. No, don't leave me. Oh, don't leave me. I, Ananias, baptize you, Paul, in the name of Jesus Christ. For he has chosen you to change the world in his name. what Ananias said when he was baptizing him. He said, I baptize you, Paul. He changes his name. And so now this, he's known by Paul, ends up writing half the New Testament, this guy, Paul. And then looks what he does. Immediately, it says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't sit around. He starts right away. He starts his ministry. I think that one of the reasons that he was so impactful was because God shows up, and he's already doing stuff. He's already moving. He's not sitting around. He's moving, and so all God has to do is redirect him. It's much easier to turn a, a car that's moving than to get one moving that's parked. And so sometimes we're like, well, where's my Ananias? Why isn't God sending anybody to me? Why isn't anything happening for me? No one's ever encouraging me. What do you think I'm doing right now? I'm trying to encourage you that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you'll open your heart to it, God has incredible things he wants to do to and through you. What I have found is the fastest way to make this happen is instead of saying, God, who is you going to put in place to help me grow? Let's pray a different prayer. Let's ask a different question. Who can I help to encourage and to help grow? Someone needs to know what you know. Someone could use your encouragement. And you might be like, well, I don't really know anything. I don't really, that you're, you're wrong. You're selling yourself short. If you've been on this planet for any time at all, you have something you can share with someone about raising kids, about relationships, about business, about money, about your career, about fixing stuff or building stuff, or you know stuff. And if all of that knowledge stays with you and dies with you, then that was a dead end. And God does not invest into dead ends. See, our, our normal, our society tells us, Get as much as you can for yourself. Don't help anybody. Just climb the ladder and do what you've got to do for you. But the gospel says, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. This isn't just talking about money. This is talking about encouragement and friendships and relationships and help. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. So if you want an Ananias to help you get to the next level, pray this prayer. Say, Lord, who can I help to encourage and grow? So today is Connect Group 
sign-up day, and uh, twice a year we do connect groups here where for eight weeks at a time you meet with different people. This semester uh, we have more groups than we've ever had. My wife runs this. She's amazing. We have 32 groups, so you should have gotten one of these. If you didn't, you can go on our website. It's all digital. If you, if you scan the, bar, the QR code on the back of the seat in front of you, that will take us to our your take you to our website or you can just go to greedymosaic.com, punch that in and you can read about all the different groups we have. We have several groups. Some of them are uh, groups that do Bible studies. Some are for single or young moms. Some are for, uh, there's, there's, there's a ton of, there's 32 different groups. Uh, there's four of them in Spanish, para ustedes que hablan español, hay uh, clases para ustedes también. So there's something for everybody. And somewhere in one of those groups is someone that God will use you to help encourage and help grow. And I have found that when you do that, God also grows you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you know every situation in this room. You know our lives. You know the lives of the people joining online. I pray, Father, that today we would look at these groups, that you would show us one, and that we would show up to be encouraged and to be an encouragement. Lord, help us to look at other people and see what value we can add to them. By doing that, Lord, we get value added back to ourselves. We put our faith and trust in you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing this Your last Your name us? is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. We want you to find community and we want you to surround yourself by people who are going to help you grow. And alongside of that, we really want you to be connected with Jesus. The whole reason Mosaic exists is to help connect people to Jesus and help them grow in their faith. And so if you've never made that decision, if you've never decided for yourself, like, yeah, I think I want to live a life with God, then we want to give you that opportunity today. So I'm going to say a prayer. There's nothing special about these words. It's about your heart behind it. So I'm going to ask everyone in the room if you'd please close your eyes and repeat after me to create a atmosphere of faith. Dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die on the cross for my sins. I know I've made bad decisions. So I ask you to come into my life and change my life. I make you number one in everything I do. Help me to be more like you. Amen. If you just said that prayer for the first time, congratulations or yes, we're so happy for you. You may be seated. If you just said that prayer, we are so happy for you and we would love to support you on your journey. So if you'll take out your phone, scan the QR code in the back of the seat in front of you and click uh, New Believer, we would love to send you some materials to help you along the way and just be there with you as you uh, start your new journey. So today we have Discover Mosaic. We at Mosaic really want you to know God. We want you to find freedom 
discover your purpose and then make a difference in the community in which you belong. And so that's how we do it, is by Discover Mosaic. When you come to the class Discover Mosaic, it's one hour, so it's at five o'clock tonight, just one hour long. We feed you dinner and the food's always really good. <laughs> but you get to learn about Mosaic, you get to take a tour of the building, meet all the staff, and then you learn more about how you might fit into this community. So I really want you to come. Uh, every time I've ever, you know, come, people get a lot out of it. You learn more about those around you, and you leave feeling more a part of God's family. Plus, the food really is good. So make sure you come tonight, 5 o'clock. Scan that QR code. Click Discover Mosaic. You can register there. As mentioned, we have connect groups today. And so I want everyone to take out your phone. Take it out, humor me. Come on, don't make me stand up here all sad. Some of you already have your phone out because you're getting on the wait list at Texas Roadhouse. I saw you. So get your phone, open the camera, and scan that QR code because then you can just look, okay? We're going to leave, and it's going to be crazy out there. And some of my introverts in the room, you're going to look and say, heck no, I'm not going to that table talking to a new person. But when you look at your phone, you can look at the connect groups. And the reason why we're so intense about it is because they they have changed our lives. Like I have been a part of connect groups where I've grown as a parent. They've been about parenthood and y'all know parenthood is the hood, right? It's a straight up ghetto sometimes. And so we need each other to help us along that journey. I've grown as a, a partner, as a wife. I've grown um, in my finances. At one point, Matthew, my husband and I were in some debt and my connect group helped me us dig out of that hole, get our head above water, and now we're able to kind of be more financially successful because of our connect group. I've grown as a professional. Um, I've met other people in my connect groups who've helped me make new connections uh, professionally and just help me make better decisions about, you know, when it comes time for that, that yearly review, how to negotiate with your boss. I'm telling you, saying yes to a connect group is might be scary but you never know what that yes could turn into so scan that qr code look through the list sign up for one online if not in person here at mosaic we have worship night and it happens once a month it's the last sunday of every month and so join us next sunday it'll be here seven o'clock it's one hour of worship six o'clock thank you benji for being here and helping me six o'clock worship night Next Sunday, it's one hour of worship where you can just come be in the presence and worship with other people alongside you. It's a really good time. Our final act of worship today is our tithes and our offering. And I love this part because it challenges